we finally are going to finish Genesis. So I'm pretty excited. Uh, that's our goal tonight, get through Genesis. So I'm going to go lightning quick. So have fun following. Um, we are picking up in Genesis 37. We are starting with the story. Uh, we are finishing up Genesis, focusing on Joseph. So we will skip stuff because not everything is focused on Joseph. Um, so with that, let's pray, and then we'll, we'll get into it. Father God, thank you so much for tonight. Thank you for an opportunity to get together and uh, come back together, dig into your words to, to finish up our study in the book of Genesis. Uh, God, I'm so excited as we close this book to see how clearly uh, your plan is displayed and how you're consistently pointing us to Jesus. Uh, thank you for the story of Joseph. I ask that you would open up our minds to see things fresh and new as we finish up this, this study in Genesis. So God, we ask you for that. Bring your spirit in this place. Help us to see uh, with your eyes. In Jesus' name, amen. So you remember uh, a few weeks ago when we were together, we finished the story of, of Jacob. And uh, in the story of Jacob, one of the things that towards the end of his story, he was confronting his brother Esau because he was leaving Laban's house. And when he did so, he ordered his family in order basically of importance. Uh, so he basically put the least important people in front. So if Esau was going to attack the people he cared about least, uh, you know, would get destroyed. And in the back of the line were Rachel and Joseph. And so the point of this is Rachel kind of had this miracle birth. She had been unable to give to have a child for this extremely long period of time. She had been com competing with her sister Leah for Jacob's attention. Um, so much so she tried to get some of her, her mandrakes her mandrake roots to try to increase her fertility. Um, she gave her handmaiden to Jacob to try to have kids from her side of the family, um, but she had been unable to bear a child until Joseph came along. So Joseph was sort of this miracle birth. That should sound familiar. Um, that should point you in a direction. Um, he's this miracle birth. He's the beloved son of, of Jacob. It's the son he loved the most because it's from the wife that he preferred the most. So he's the preferred son, miraculous birth, um, and he's just, he has a special place in Jacob's heart for Joseph. And so now we pick up in Genesis 37. In Joseph's story, as the story switches from Jacob to Joseph and focuses on him. So we'll pick right up. In verse 1, it says, Now Jacob <clears throat> dwelt in the land where his father was a stranger, in the land of Canaan. This is the history of Jacob. So, interestingly, it says this is the history of Jacob, but then the rest of, the, rest of Genesis is almost focused entirely on Joseph. Um, so Joseph, being 17 years old, was feeding the flock with his brothers, and uh, the lad was with his, the sons of Bilhah, and the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives. And Joseph brought a bad report of them to his father. Now, Israel loved Joseph more than all of his children because he was the son of his old age. Also, he made him a tunic of many colors. 
But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peaceably to him. So all of his brothers hated him, of course, because they didn't forget that when they were marching through the wilderness towards Esau, that Joseph got the, the nice position, the nice safe position next to Jacob in the back of the line. Uh, and now he's made this colorful coat and tunic for, for Joseph, and he just seems to be the favorite. And nobody likes the favorite. Um, nobody likes the baby of the family, except for the parents. And so his brothers hate him. But here are some things that are interesting. Joseph was feeding the flock with his brothers. So Joseph was a shepherd. Jesus is the good shepherd. So this is the first sort of parallel we get in their lives. He's the beloved son, the preferred son. That reminds me of Abraham and Isaac, which also reminds me of the father and Jesus. And Joseph is given this special coat that nobody else has, the special tunic. And this makes me think of like he's covered in, in glory a little bit. You'll see where this comes in in a moment. Um, and his brothers also hate him, but they hate him for no reason. Nothing that Joseph did is why they hate him. They hate him because of their parents' reaction. They hate him uh, just because he's preferred, because he's favored. Um, and so Joseph didn't do anything wrong. And as you, as you read through this, the story in Genesis, Joseph never does anything that's wrong. They just hate him because they don't measure up to Joseph. That should also sound like the Pharisees and the chief priests in the life of Jesus. So you're start, you'll see some of the parallels come out right away. And now he's with his brothers. They hate him. And Joseph comes back and he has a bad report of his brothers, of the tribes of Israel. He brings his father a bad report of the tribes of Israel. Um, that also sounds very similar to the Pharisees, the chief priests, and the elders, the leaders of Israel. These are the ultimate leaders of Israel, the patriarchs, uh, and Joseph has a bad report of them. So already, four verses in, there's like a bunch of connections to who Jesus is. So let's get into it. Now, verse five, Joseph had a dream. And this is, I love this. Um, if you haven't seen it, DreamWorks did an animated movie called Joseph, King of Dreams. It's not as good as Prince of Egypt, but the dream sequences are really good, and it's worth watching that movie just for the dream sequences. They don't get everything biblically correct. They don't get the order of the brothers incorrect, but it's pretty close to the heart of the story, and the dream sequences are really good. So I would recommend watching it just for the dream sequences. Now, Joseph had a dream, and he told it to his brothers, and they hated him even more just because Joseph told him the truth. Uh, so he said to them, verse 6, Please hear this dream which I have dreamed. There were binding sheaves in the field. Then, behold, my sheaf arose and also stood upright. And indeed, your sheaves stood up around and bowed down to my sheaves. So now he's telling them there were sheaves of wheat. So there was like 11, 12 in all. Um, mine stood upright, and then all of yours bowed down to me. And his brothers said to him, shall you indeed reign over us or shall you indeed have dominion over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. Then he dreamed still another dream. 
And he told it to his brothers. And he said, look, I've dreamed another dream. And this time, the sun, the moon, and the 11 stars bowed down to me. That should sound familiar from Revelation, where you see the sun, the, the woman clothed with the sun, the moon, and the stars. So that picture comes back in Revelation. So you know that in Revelation, they're talking about Israel, because Joseph is talking about the sun, the moon, and the 11 stars bowing down to him, and that is representative of Israel. So he told it to his father. He tells this dream to his father, and his brothers and his father rebuked him and said to him, what is this dream that you have dreamed? Shall your mother and I and your brothers indeed come to bow down to the earth before you? And his brothers envied him, but his father kept the matter in mind. <clears throat> so Joseph has dreams and he tells his brothers and his parents the dream. And ultimately the dream is that he is going to be the ruler and they are all going to bow down to him at some point, including over Israel, over Jacob, who's named Israel. So Joseph, even though he's the son of Israel, will be greater than Israel. That is a alarm bell should be going off. That sounds like Jesus. Jesus is a Jewish man. He's from a descendant of, of the Judaic line, and he's the son of David. But he also said before Abraham was, I am. So even though he's a son of Israel, he's an Israelite, he is before Israel and above Israel. And Joseph has a similar meaning in his life. And so again, things should be going, oh man, this guy's life is already really starting to point me in the direction of the connections to Jesus. This is what we're really going to focus on, by the way, in Joseph's life, the connections to Jesus and the typography of how you see what the Messiah is going to look like ultimately. So then, his brothers went to feed their father's flock in Shechem. And Israel said to Joseph, are not your brothers feeding the flock in Shechem? Come, I will send you to them. So now, Joseph is the preferred son. He's the son that his father loved. Even though he's the son of, his, son of Israel, he's greater than Israel but he's being sent out by his father to do a task for the tribes of Israel. Um, so you can see the parallels. So he goes and he checks in on his brothers um, and they really just, they don't like him. So as they're out there among the flocks, they saw him, this is picking up in verse 18, they saw him afar off even before he came near to them. And they conspired against him to kill him. That is, that are, again sounds like Jesus. The chief priests and the leaders of Israel conspired against Jesus to kill him. So then they said to one another, look, this dreamer is coming. Come therefore, let us know, kill him and cast him into some pit. And we shall say some wild beast has devoured him. We shall see what will become of his dream. So a pit is always Though they're actually talking about a legitimate pit, but a pit is also symbolic of death in Scripture. But Reuben heard it, and he delivered him out of their hands and said, let us not kill him. Uh, and Reuben said to them, shed no blood, but cast him into this pit, which is in the wilderness, and do not lay a hand on him, Then he might, uh, that he might deliver him out of their hands and bring him back to his father. So Reuben, who had already made some mistakes, is kind of trying to get back into his father's good graces. And he's like, let's, 
let's not kill Joseph. I'm, we'll throw him into a pit, but then he had plans to come save him later. So it came to pass when Joseph had come to his brothers, they had stripped Joseph of his tunic, the tunic of many colors that was on him. Then they took him and cast him into a pit, and the pit was empty, and there was no water in it. So they removed the coat from Joseph. They stripped him of his glory. And Jesus left his glory to come to the earth. Jesus was also stripped of his tunic by the Romans at the cross before he was put on the cross to death. And so Joseph is stripped of his glory, stripped of his family right, of the things that that have been given to him, and he gets pushed down into a pit, which represents death, um, and there was no water in it. So what this is, is basically, it's a cistern. So it's where they would store water. It's not a natural well where you would dig for water to always be there. It would be where you would store extra water to pick it up. So they throw him in this empty cistern. And so he's in this pit. Now what happens, verse 26, Judah said to his brothers, what profit is there if we kill our brother and conceal his blood? Come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites and let not our hand be upon him, for he is our brother and our flesh. And his brothers listened. Then Midianite traders passed by. So the brothers pulled Joseph up and lifted him out of the pit, sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 shekels of silver, and they took Joseph to Egypt. So Judah, and just so you understand, the way that Judah's name was transliterated into English from Hebrew is why we call him Judah. But it's the same name as Judas. We only call them differently because Judas was transliterated from Greek. Judah was transliterated from Hebrew. It's just like how Jesus transliterated from Greek is Jesus, but the same name transliterated from Hebrew becomes Joshua in English. But it's the same name. So Judah, or you could call him Judas, and Judas, Judah, they have the same name. They sell out, Judah sells out Joseph for 20 shekels of silver. He sells him into slavery. Jesus was sold, by, sold out by Judas for the common price of a slave in that day, which was 30 pieces of silver. And if you know in Zechariah, it was predicted that it would be 30 pieces of silver. So Zechariah predicted the inflation from the Old Testament to the New Testament for what the price of a slave would be. Um, but Judah sells out Joseph for the price of a slave Judas sells out Jesus for profit for the price of a slave. Um, And they happen to have the same name, Judah and Judas. So the picture is like alarm bells are going off, and all of a sudden you're seeing God is telling us what is coming way down the road. Judas and Judah. Now we pick up in verse 31. It says, they took Joseph's tunic, killed a kid of the goats, and dipped the tunic in the blood. Then they sent the tunic of many colors And they brought it to their father and said, we have found this. Do you know whether it is your son's tunic or not? And he recognized it and said, it is my son's tunic. A wild beast has devoured him. Without doubt, Joseph is torn to pieces. Then Jacob tore his clothes and mourned his son for many days. And then the final verse of uh, chapter 37. Now the Midianites had sold him, Joseph, in Egypt to Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh and captain of the guard. So, at the end of of chapter 37, you've seen 
the beloved son who had a miraculous birth, covered in glory, was stripped of his glory, hated without cause. He is the son of Israel, but he's also greater than Israel. Um, you've seen him sold for silver by a person who shares the same name as Judas. His brothers conspired against him. The leaders of Israel conspired against him to kill him. And now his father is mourning his death. Just in that chapter. Now, much like Abraham and Isaac in Genesis 22, there was an animal that replaced the death of Joseph that they covered in his tunic. But still, the representation is very much there. Chapter 38 is all about Judah and Tamar. We're not even going to get into it. Um, it is important um, because it hints towds the genealogy of Jesus because Jesus comes from the line of Judah. Um, but we're focused on Joseph. So we're just going to skip it. Uh, and if you have questions, ask him later. But now Joseph is a slave in Egypt. He was sold to Potiphar. Now, in Potiphar's house, Joseph is a slave, but he rises to the occasion and ends up being, he runs the household ultimately. And <clears throat> this is what chapter 39 is all about. He is rising to the, the place of, of, of rule. Um, and in there, you can see that there's no record of, of his moral failure, but he is consistently tempted by Potiphar's wife because Joseph is a handsome young man. But Potiphar's wife consistently tempts him and he consistently says no until one day she tries to force Joseph into a relationship with her. And he runs away. But when he runs away, she strips him of his coat. Again, he's stripped of his glory. She's left as the accuser hanging on to his coat. Um, and so he is falsely accused and then put into prison for the crime that Potiphar's wife committed. So he's taking the punishment for the guilty party as his glory is stripped away from him. Does that sound familiar to you? It should. And we pick up in prison. Now, as he's in prison, he again rises to the, he's so good at everything. God is just blessing him. As much as it doesn't sound like it, he's been sold into slavery and he's been thrown into prison. God is continuing to bless him. And he, run, he ends up running the prisoners. He becomes the chief prisoner. Yeah, you know, he's a prisoner, but he's in prison. Um, but he's running, sort of running the inmates. And we pick up in, in chapter 40 and it says, it came to pass after these things, so after all of the issues with Potiphar's wife, um, that the butler and the baker of the king of Egypt offended their lord, the king of Egypt. And Pharaoh was angry with his two officers, the chief butler and the chief baker. So he put him in custody in the house of the captain of the guard in prison, the place where Joseph was confined. And the captain of the guard charged Joseph with them, and he served them so that they were in custody for a while. Then the butler and the baker of the king of Egypt, who were confined in the prison, had a dream, both of them each man's dream in one night and each man's dream with its own interpretation. Joseph's in prison. He's being punished for somebody else's crime and he's in prison with two other criminals. Jesus was hung on the cross between two criminals. Now, these two criminals, they both have a dream 
And as you see, one of their dreams means that one of them is restored while the other one is punished. When Jesus was hanging on the cross, one of the prisoners, one of the criminals was restored for his humility in Jesus. And Jesus said, today you will be with me in paradise. And the other one continued to mock and was condemned. So just like in Joseph is in prison with these two prisoners, one is restored, one is condemned. And we're going to read about it. <clears throat> so more dreams. Now, this is the best part. Joseph, Joseph said to them, do not interpretations belong to God. Tell them to me, please. So that's the end of verse 8. And he's basically saying, it's not me that's going to interpret the dreams. The interpretations belong to God. But tell me the dream, and God will interpret it for you and use me as a vessel, basically, is what he's saying. So he's still giving glory to God in prison between two prisoners. So, just, uh, so then the chief butler told him his dream and said to him, Behold, in my dream, a vine was before me, and in the dream a vine uh, was before me, and in the vine there were three branches. It was as though it budded, its blossoms shot forth, and its clusters brought forth ripe grapes. Then Pharaoh's cup was in my hand, and I took the grapes and pressed them into Pharaoh's cup and placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. And Joseph said to him, this is the interpretation of it. The three branches are three days. Three days, that should be important. Um, three days. Now within three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your place. And you will put Pharaoh's cup in his hand according to the former manner when you were his butler. But remember me when it is well with you and show and please show kindness to me. Make mention to me to Pharaoh and get me out of this house. He really wants to get out of prison. For indeed, I was stolen away from the land of the Hebrews, and also I have done nothing that should put me into the dungeon. Now, when the chief baker saw that the interpretation was good, he said to Joseph, I also was in my dream, and there were three white baskets on my head. In the uppermost basket were all kinds of baked goods for Pharaoh, and the birds ate them and out of the basket on my head. So Joseph answered and said, this is the interpretation of it. The three baskets are three days. Within three days, Pharaoh will lift off your head from you and will hang you on a tree and the birds will eat your flesh from you. So <clears throat> they both have dreams. One of them is going to be restored. It means in three days, you're going to be the Pharaoh's cupbearer again. You're going to see the grapes. That's a good thing. The, then the baker goes, oh, it was a good dream. It was, a, you heard good things for him. So now I want to know what, what my dream meant because Joseph had a good thing to say to this guy. Um, so what's my, what does my dream mean? And uh, it's bad. He's like, you're going to die in three days. And you're going to be hung on a tree. Um, in Jewish law, those who hang on a tree are cursed. And so the curse fell on Jesus because he was hung on a cross, on wood, on a tree. Um, and there's, actually, there's Levitical laws that we'll get into when we get into Leviticus. But the point is, Jesus had to be buried immediately before sundown because he was hung on a tree. Um, and that's part of Jewish law that we'll get into later. I just want you to know that for future reference. So if you write that down, that'll, make, that'll be important later on. But ultimately, three days. Now, the, the one who was restored, Joseph said, remember me. Um, and he is the one who tells Pharaoh later on and gets Joseph out of prison because of his ability to interpret dreams. So now, Pharaoh, this is a couple years later, Pharaoh has dreams, 
and he has two dreams, but they're, they mean the same thing. And so I'll explain the dreams instead of going through all of it. So he, he has a dream where there's seven really fat cows. Um, but then come along seven, like, gross, sickly cows. And the seven gross, sickly cows eat the fat cows, but they don't gain weight. They stay disgusting and sick. And, well, that's a weird dream. I would be disturbed by that, too, watching cows eat each other. And so Pharaoh's disturbed by this, and then he has another dream. So there's seven stalks of wheat, and then there's seven heads of grain uh, on the stalk of wheat, right? And they're really healthy and full, but then there's seven heads of grain that are disgusting and withered. And the disgusting withered ones eat the healthy grain, but the stalk doesn't get healthy. It stays disgusting. And so Pharaoh's grossed out by this. He says, what, what does this mean? The cupbearer finally remembers Joseph from prison, and he re- invites him in, and Pharaoh's looking forward to this interpretation. Um, and so Joseph tells him what's going on. He basically says these dreams are one and the same. Um, and you pick up in verse 25. It says, Joseph said to Pharaoh, the dreams of Pharaoh are one. God has shown Pharaoh what he's about to do. The seven good cows are seven years, and the seven good heads are seven years. The dreams are one. <clears throat> and the seven thin and ugly cows which came up after them are seven years, and the seven empty heads are blighted by the east wind are seven years of famine. So this is the thing which I have spoken to Pharaoh. God has shown Pharaoh what he's about to do. This is indeed there will be seven great years of plenty will come throughout all the land of Egypt. But after the seven years of plenty will be seven years of famine. Uh, they will arise, and all the plenty will be forgotten in the land of Egypt, and the famine will deplete the land. So the plenty will not be known in the land because of the famine following, for it will be very severe. And the dream was repeated to Pharaoh twice, because the thing is established by God, and God will shortly bring it to pass. Now, therefore, let Pharaoh select a discerning and wise man and set him over the land of Egypt. So this is pretty audacious by Joseph. He's telling him the dream, and then after he interprets the dream, he gives Pharaoh advice. A prisoner tells Pharaoh, this is what you should do. You should get a discerning and wise man and set him over Egypt. Let Pharaoh do this, and let him appoint officers over the land to collect one-fifth of the produce of the land of Egypt during the seven plentiful years. And let them gather all the food of the good years that are coming and shore up the grain under the authority of Pharaoh. And let them keep the food in the cities. Then that, food will be, then that food shall be a reserve for the land for the seven years of famine which shall be in the land of Egypt. That in the land may not perish, or that the land may not perish during the famine. So he's basically saying, you need to put someone in charge that you trust, that you know is wise, that will keep one-fifth of everything during the next seven years when, you're, every, when our produce is pumping. And then following that seven years, is going to be seven years of famine. And since we stored up one-fifth of the plenty, we'll, we'll be able to have a reserve for when the famine comes through and we won't be able to grow anything. So what does Pharaoh do? We'll pick up in verse 42. Pharaoh took his signet ring off his hand, put it on Joseph's hand, and he clothed him in garments of fine linen and put a gold chain around his neck. So Joseph has come out of prison. He's come out of the pit. 
and the king has clothed him in fine garments and restored his glory. Like the father and the son. Jesus comes out and his glory is restored when he's resurrected. He put a gold chain around his neck and he had him ride in the second chariot, which he had. And they cried out before him, bow the knee. So he set him over all the land of Egypt. Pharaoh also said to Joseph, I am Pharaoh. And without your consent, no man may lift his hand or foot in all of the land of Egypt. And Pharaoh called Joseph's name Zaphnat paneah And he gave him as a wife, Asenath, the daughter of Potipharah, priest of On. So Joseph went out over all the land of Egypt. And Joseph was 30 years old when he stood before Pharaoh, king of Egypt. So his glory is restored. And now Joseph really starts his ministry at age 30. Jesus started his ministry at age 30. And after Jesus came out of the pit, his glory was restored. So you can see the parallels. Um, <clears throat> interesting thing is the name that Pharaoh gives him. So there's a variety of different meanings that this could have all over different commentaries and Bible dictionaries for the name Zaphnat Panea. So I'm going to share with you all of the possibilities that I've heard about that this name could be. Um, instead of telling you what I think it is. Because it doesn't matter what I think it is. Once you hear all of the names, you'll understand what I mean. So the possible meanings for the name Zaphnat Panea, which was what Joseph was named by Pharaoh, uh, it could be the salvation of the world. It could be the rescuer of the world. It could be the prince of the life of the world. It could also be the food of life or the food of the living. Bread of life, right? I mean, come on. Um, says the God he will live is another possibility. Or God speaks and he lives. Uh, and then finally, it could possibly be revealer of secrets. So I don't really know exactly what Zafnat Panea means, but it could be any one of those meanings. And all of them, any one of them points to a type of Jesus. This points directly to Christ. Now, here's something interesting as well. Joseph has been restored. His brothers and his family, Israel, rejected him. They threw him in the pit. But the Gentiles have bowed down to him so far in the story. Boy, I wonder what will happen next. So now, this uh, famine has happened. All right, so the years of plenty have gone by. Famine is now in the land, and it has spread beyond Egypt into the region of Canaan, where the Israelites are. And so that's where we pick up in chapter 42. It says, now Joseph was governor over the, over the land, and it was he who sold all the people of the land. And Joseph's brothers came and bowed down before him with their faces to the earth. So after the Gentiles bowed down to him, now... The Israelites are bowing down to him. That sounds like Zechariah. Um, that sounds like Revelation. So it's identical to what you would expect. And actually, Stephen talked about this in Acts chapter 7 when he was getting stoned to death. He pointed out Moses and Joseph in his sermon um, as Stephen was getting stoned to death. And one of the reasons he pointed both Moses and Joseph out is because they were both rejected at first and then bowed down to 
later. And Joseph, even more predictively, the Gentiles accepted him before the Jews. So anyway, Joseph saw his brothers and he recognized them, but he acted as a stranger to them and spoke roughly to them. He said to them, where'd you come from? They said, from the land of Canaan to buy food. So Joseph recognized his brothers. They didn't recognize him. I remember Joseph is in his 30s now, and is, they haven't seen him since he was 17. They think he's dead. And now he looks Egyptian because he's all dressed up in the garb. So they don't recognize him. But he notices them. So Joseph remembered the dreams which he had dreamed about and said to them, you are spies. You have come to see the nakedness of the land. They said to him, no, my Lord, but your servants have come to buy food. We are all one man's sons. We are honest men, your servants, and not spies. But he said to them, no, but you have come to see the nakedness of the land. And they said, your servants are the 12 brothers, the sons of one man in the land of Canaan. And in fact, the youngest is with our father today, and one is no more. So they're coming clean. They're saying, hey, there's 12 of us that are brothers. One of, one of us is, is, he's gone. We don't know where he is. We think he's dead. And the other one, the youngest one, is still with, is back with our father. Um, and Joseph is thinking about the dream that he had when they all hated him for this exact moment. They're all bowing down to him. And so I think Joseph is really, he's like traumatized. He's thinking, what are these guys going to do? I have, another, I, have a, I have a younger brother, Benjamin. My, my mother's only other son. What are they going to do to him? It, these guys can't be trusted. So, verse 18, Joseph said to them, the third day, do this and live. For I fear God. If you are honest men, let one of your brothers be confined to your prison house, but you go and carry grain for the famine of your houses and bring your youngest brother to me so your words will be verified and you shall not die. So he says, I'm going to keep one of you here. The rest of you, I'm going to keep one of you here in prison until you provide, you all come back with your youngest brother to show me that you're not lying. Um, so there are a lot of teachers who think that really what Joseph is doing is trying to save his brother. He's trying to save Benjamin from the jealousy that they had for him. Because he doesn't know if, they've, if these guys have changed at all. So they decide they're going to have a little, they're going to have a little chat. And they do it in Hebrew. Um, and Reuben uh, answered them and said, do, do, this is verse 22, that I not speak to you saying, do not sin against the boy and you would not listen. Therefore, behold, his blood is now required of us. So they're having a conversation behind Joseph. They think behind Joseph's back. They're speaking to each other in Hebrew. And Reuben says, didn't I tell you not to sin against Joseph? I told you not to do it. And now his blood is on our hands. Which, by the way, is identical to what the chief priest said to, to um, Pilate. He said, let his, let his blood be on our hands. Um, so Reuben is pointing that out. He says, but they did not know that Joseph understood them, for he spoke to them through an interpreter. So Joseph is being sneaky. He's pretending to be Egyptian. He looks Egyptian. They think he's Egyptian. They don't know what he's saying, but he hears his brothers, and he actually hears them being distressed about the fact that they killed Joseph, or they think that, they, they think that Joseph is dead. Uh, but he still goes through with this plan. And Simeon ends up staying behind as the rest go to Canaan. So we pick up in verse 25. Joseph gave a command to fill their sacks with grain and to restore every man's money to his sack and to give them the provisions for the journey. So 
they paid for the provisions. Joseph gives them all the money back. They don't even know that he's doing it. He's probably trying to provide for his family back in Egypt, or back in Canaan. So they loaded their donkeys, but the grain departed from there. But as one of them opened his sack to give his donkey feed at the encampment, he saw his money. And there it was in the mouth of, in the mouth of his sack. So he said to his brothers, my money has been restored, and there it is in my sack. Then their hearts failed them, and they were afraid, saying to one another, what has God done to us? So they're thinking, oh no, we didn't steal the money. This guy is going to think we lied and we cheat and we stole, but really Joseph was just trying to take care of his family. Um, and maybe their story got to him a little bit. So they get back to Canaan and they tell Jacob what's going on. They say, Simeon's in prison. Zaphnat Paneah, he wants us to come back with Benjamin so that we can have more for our family. And Jacob basically says, no, you're not taking Benjamin. This goes on for a long time until they're starving again. And uh, it gets so bad <clears throat> that verse 8 of, of, of chapter 43 is where, where this happens. Judah said to Israel, his father, send the lad with me, speaking of Benjamin, and we will arise and go that we may live and not die because the famine's so bad. Both we and you and our little ones. I myself will be surety for him. From my hand, you shall require him. If I do not bring him back to you and set him before you, then let me bear the blame forever. So Judah is now taking responsibility for what he did. And he's saying to his father, it will be my responsibility for Benjamin's safety. If Benjamin doesn't come back to you, it's on my head. You can take it out on me. So that's just in general interesting. So they head back. And they bring Benjamin with him. And when Joseph saw Benjamin with them, this is verse 16, he said to the steward of his house, take these men to my home and slaughter an animal and make ready for these men will dine with me at noon. So Joseph sees them come back with Benjamin and immediately throws a big party. It almost sounds like the prodigal son story in the way that he did that, but there's more to it, what's going on. Because Joseph is really on a fact-finding mission. He starts asking them a bunch of questions. Um, he even sits his brothers down in the age, in the order of their age. Just like Joseph just seems to know things. And they, that's, I think that's what he wants them to think, that he just seems to somehow supernaturally know things because they don't recognize him yet. And so they're having this, this feast. And uh, verse 26, when Joseph came home, they brought him the present which was in their, their hand into the house and bowed down before him to the earth. Then he asked them about their well-being and said, is your father well? The old man of whom you spoke, is he still alive? And they answered, your servant, our father, is in good health. He is still alive. And they bowed, down, bowed their heads down and prostrated themselves. So they're now, again, they're coming before Joseph and they're bowing down to him. Now they had mentioned to him that, hey, when we left, we found the money we paid for the food in our sack. So they're being upfront and honest with him and saying, we don't know where this came from. And Joseph is basically like, your God has blessed you. It's fine. Don't worry about it. But he's still trying to figure stuff out. Now, things get really interesting because throughout this dinner, he decides to hatch a plan. And as they're having this dinner, he has one of his servants take a silver cup and hide it in Benjamin's bag. And then he confronts them about this. So <clears throat> he confronts them and says, 
someone has stolen my silver cup from which I do divination. Now, I want to be clear. Joseph probably didn't actually do divination. Divination is not something that's positively lighted. He's just trying to be an Egyptian in front of them. He's trying to present Egyptian culture because he doesn't want them to recognize him. And uh, he, he confronts them. He tells them what's going on. They basically are like, no, there's no way any of us stole anything. We even told you about the money that was in our sacks from the last time we were here. There's no way we're going to try to pull anything over you. If any one of us has stolen anything, kill him. And so Joseph lines him up, and he goes from oldest to youngest, and then they find, he finds the cup in Benjamin's sack. Um, and Judah responds. He says this in verse 30. Now therefore, when I come to your servant, my father, and the lad is not with us, since his life is bound up in the lad's life, it will happen when he sees that the lad is not with us, meaning when my father, when Jacob sees that Benjamin isn't with us, he'll die. So your servants will bring down the gray hair of your servant, our father, with sorrow to the grave. For your servant became surety for the lad to my father, saying, if I do not bring him back to you, then I shall bear the blame forever, or from before my father forever. Now therefore, please let your servant remain instead of the lad as a slave to my Lord. And the lad go up with his brothers. For now I shall go up to my father if the lad is not with me, lest perhaps I see the evil that would come upon my father. So Joseph's re- or Judah's response to this is, I'm the one responsible for Benjamin. If Benjamin doesn't come back, my father will die. So please take me instead. I will be the prisoner. Don't take Benjamin. Let him go back. I'll be a slave for you. It's fine. So Judah now steps in the role as the person who takes the punishment. And Judah is the lion from which Jesus comes from. Now Joseph, at this moment, this is chapter 45, Joseph could not restrain himself before all those who stood by him. And he cried out, make everyone go out from me. So no one stood with him. Well, Joseph made himself knocked down to his brothers and he wept aloud and the Egyptians in the house of Pharaoh heard it. So he was crying so loud that everybody heard it, even the Egyptians. Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Does my father still live? But his brothers could not answer him, for they were dismayed in his presence. And Joseph said to his brothers, please come near to me. So they came near, and he said, I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into Egypt. But now do not therefore be grieved or angry with yourselves. Because you sold me here, for God sent me before you to preserve life. For these two years, the famine has been in the land, and there are still five years left in which there will be neither plowing nor harvesting. And God sent me before you to preserve a posterity for you in the earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So now it was not you who sent me here, but God, and he made me a father to Pharaoh and the Lord of all of his house and a ruler throughout all of the land of Egypt. So he confronts his brothers. He says, I am Joseph. And don't be afraid. What you did, what you did to me when you sold me into Egypt, God meant to happen. He sent me before you to preserve life, to be a deliverer, to set up land for you. This should all sound like You should see where the the parallel is, right? I am here as your deliverer. You denied me, 
you sold me into slavery. You wanted to kill me. But God used me to preserve life, to be salvation for you. Even in your hatred of me. That should sound a lot like Jesus. And so the rest of the book of Genesis, it sort of shifts back between Joseph and Jacob. And Jacob, basically he sets up the, the land of Goshen in Egypt for the Israelites. So they go back to Jacob and they bring him out of the land of Canaan and they all come into Egypt and they're given the best of the land and they're treated very well because they're related to Joseph. And from there, Jacob gets to confront his family and I would recommend reading chapter 49 because um, we're not going to get to it tonight. But just to see how he blessed each one of his sons because from Judah, he says, the rod will not depart or the scepter will not depart from Judah's hand. That's how you know the royal line comes from Judah, which is the line that Messiah comes from. Um, but it sets up sort of the roles for the 12 tribes of Israel in chapter 49. But now they're in Egypt. And this is in chapter 50, sort of the last piece that we're going to get to, starting in verse 15. Chapter 50. Starting in verse 15, when Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead. So Jacob has now passed away. They said, perhaps Joseph will hate us and may actually repay us for all the evil which we did to him. So they sent messengers to Joseph saying, before your father died, he commanded saying, thus you shall say to Joseph, I beg you, please forgive the trespass of your brothers and their sin, for they did evil to you. Now please forgive the trespass of the servants of the God of your father. And Joseph wept when they spoke to him. So they get together, they think, Jacob's dead, our father's dead, so Joseph might not restrain what he has for us anymore. So he might hate us, and now that our father's dead, he might finally take out on us all of the things we did to him. And they say, please, we want you to know that dad wanted you to forgive us. We're asking you, we're begging you to forgive us of our sin. And in that moment, Joseph wept. Then his brothers also went and fell down before his face, and they said, behold, we are your servants. And Joseph said to them, do not be afraid, for am I in the place of God? But as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring it about as it is this day to save many people alive. Now, therefore, do not be afraid. I will provide for you and your little ones. And he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. So Joseph said, don't be afraid. What you meant for evil, God meant for good and I will provide for you. So as you can see, Joseph's life as a suffering servant clearly depicts ultimately what the Messiah's life will look like. It gives us a clearer picture of what is to come in the future. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for scripture. Thank you for your word that you have given us history real events with real people that point and parallel your plan and story so that we can know exactly who the Messiah is and we can fall on our knees before Jesus knowing that he is clearly the picture you meant to paint 
And when he came on the scene, we knew our sin can be forgiven through him. And we can be restored in him. Just like the brothers were restored in Joseph, regardless of how they treated him. Because you tell us that while we were still sinners, you loved us. God, thank you for all of this. In Jesus' name, amen.